This is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update Podcast. This is part of an ongoing series featuring critical insights from the physicians and healthcare professionals on the front lines of the pandemic. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update. Today, we'll be discussing vaccination in Native American populations with Dr. Shaban Westcott, co-director of the Indians into Medicine program at the University of North Dakota School of Medicine and Health Sciences in Grand Forks, North Dakota. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. I'd like to acknowledge that the land that I live and work is the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, the Ojibwe, and the Potawatomi Nations. Dr. Westcott, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, Native American populations have been among the hardest hit in the country by COVID-19. Can you give us a quick snapshot of just how disproportionate that impact has been and uh, on these communities? So I'll, I'll say that we know just from the very little data that we do have that it's at least uh, twice as many cases Death is a little bit more difficult to calculate. Uh, the Seattle Indian Health Board put out a report uh, sharing which states were recording which information and, and American Indians were underrepresented in the reporting. So if you don't have that data, we don't know actually what the impact is, but just from personal stories and hearing um, about loss of loved ones, it's, it's significant and at least two and a half times higher, I believe, um, for cases. And what is, uh, you know, what's driving that in terms of the kind of comorbidities uh, and the, these disparities? What, do you, what are you seeing as primary drivers of that? It's a, it's a bit difficult to tell because this is mainly cases, so that's less about complications. And probably it has a lot to do with uh, a higher percentage of frontline workers, um, so people who regularly interact with the public, uh, for a lot of tribes, their main source of income is a casino or hotel or bingo hall even, and uh, there you're interacting with the public. So it's, while many tribes shut down uh, at various times during the, this past year of the pandemic, um, you still have gas station workers. And then um, if there is uh, multi-generations in the same household, it's hard to obviously isolate, but I think it's probably, I mean, we'll find out over time what the actual uh, factors were, but I would guess um, more being on the front line. You know, a lot of what we hear is, you know, how hard it's been with a vaccine rollout to reach these communities that have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19. You know, for tribal communities that we're, we're seeing them refer to sometimes as models for the rest of the country to follow. Can you talk more about that? That's really interesting. The Indian Health Service has absolutely been spectacular. They have led the nation uh, probably the world at this point, well, Israel might be ahead of them, but it would be close. So I believe it's the Blackfeet Nation is has already reached herd immunity uh, with enough people vaccinated. And uh, just the efficiency of the Indian Health Service in getting doses. And actually, so I got my vaccines two and a half weeks sooner through the Indian Health Service than I would have through North Dakota as a as a professor at the university. Uh, I just took a 10 hour round trip drive twice 
to get to the nearest urban Indian clinic, but they were so efficient, wonderful, uh, and and traditional. For instance, you could smudge, which is a, a way of cleansing and recentering yourself um, after you got your shot. So, you know, I just could not say enough about how good the Indian Health Service has been with vaccines. It's interesting because I, I think in conversations with Dr. Barbara McEnany, one of our AMA's past presidents, uh, you know, one of the things she focused on was a lack of investment in the Indian Health Services. Has something kind of changed to enable what you see as a pretty successful vaccine rollout? I'm not entirely sure what happened. Uh, I know the Indian Health Service was part of the early planning last fall for should there be a rollout with the vaccines that um, it was, I believe it was called Operation Warp Speed. And there was specific planning with the Indian Health Service. And for whatever reason, whoever was in charge um, at IHS really did their job beautifully. The, uh, you know, getting shots into arms uh, has been the big challenge once, you know, the supply part has uh, gotten in place. Uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, tribal communities, again, be very effective in getting uh, that done. Uh, any kind of notes to why the success uh, rate has been so high? Well, I th and I haven't seen exact numbers on this. Uh, however, I think mask use is very high amongst the Native community uh, and where tribes have control over borders, for instance, sorry, with um, Cheyenne River in South Dakota, uh, they were able to have checkpoints uh, even on state or federal roads coming into the reservation because they have sovereignty. And so, um, you know, I just seen a, a general excellent uh, adherence to public health recommendations from the very beginning of the pandemic with tribes. So um, the, the extension of that is just the vaccine rollout. And of course, there's certain people who are concerned, um, and rightfully so. I actually was very concerned about the speed at which the vaccine trials concluded. And I was digging around and, and finally I found the reason. So vaccine trials can end for several reasons, adverse events, or uh, there's something else wrong with the trial. But normally they take years because you have to not only recruit enough volunteers, which usually takes forever, and you have to reach a set number of cases. So usually, again, that takes years. They got all of that done in months because, you know, people wanted to participate in this trial and they reached the cases because the, the pandemic was spreading so quickly. So it only took months. Yeah, we've had a is, chance to talk to a lot of people involved mm -hmm. in that and the way that that uh, really rolled out is a lot of the space that usually sits, you know, between parts of the trials was cut out. A yeah. lot of the bureaucracy and red tape that allowed the trials to uh, move so quickly, which is excellent news for you. Are you, you know, uh, seeing uh, the, uh, any kind of the level of resistance that we're seeing in other parts of the country among uh, this community? Well, that's a, the biggest concern that I would hear, but it's I have to admit my bias because for my loved ones and friends, I go out of my way to essentially bully them to get the vaccine. So I don't, um, I'm, I'm not the most sympathetic person if you have concerns, but that that timing was the biggest one that I've heard. So I'll be doing a PSA 
um, for the Center for Disease Control and Prevention this week on that, um, just that timing issue. And it just really, you know, when I, I was just sitting at home in February thinking, I have no idea when I could get the vaccine, no idea when I might be able to get my life back. And while I'm safe and able to work remotely, it, it was really getting frustrating. And so I reached out um, to one of my Native physician friends in Minneapolis, and and she said, you know, we're not taking your age group next, but get on the list. I got on the list. I got an appointment the next week. So then I started working my circle to to get other people who were kind of dragging their feet or just not sure that they should be uh, assertive and trying to find spots uh, where they might get the vaccine. You mentioned a PSA. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that. We have it actually to look at, but what's the background on that? So uh, the Center for Disease Control reached out to us and they, you know, of course, the native population has been particularly hard hit by COVID. So they wanted to make sure that their messaging includes uh, uh, voices from native physicians. So they asked Dr. Warren and myself to make a video and his is now ready. Uh, I'll show you here. Hello and thank you to all my relatives. My name is Dr. Donald Warren. My Lakota name is Prejuta Wichasha, which means medicine man. I was named after my grandfather, who was a traditional healer. I am a family physician, and I work at the University of North Dakota School of Medicine and Health Sciences in Grand Forks, North Dakota. I am the director of the Indians into Medicine program and director of the public health program. The reason this is called Grand Forks is that it is the confluence of the Red River heading north and the Red Lake River heading west. This was a sacred gathering point for my ancestors, the Lakota and Dakota peoples. Long before there were highways, we used the riverways for transportation so people could use their canoes to come to places like Grand Forks to meet and connect. These were social gatherings as well as ceremonial gatherings, and in many ways, a very important part of the spiritual culture and makeup of my people. I strongly encourage each of you to get vaccinated against COVID-19. The sooner we get vaccinated, the sooner we can get back to reconnecting with each other in a social manner and in a cultural manner, the way our ancestors have done for many generations. Please get the vaccination so we can all reconnect. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Westcott. That's terrific. And thank you for uh, working with the CDC on producing that PSA. Um, well, let's talk a little bit more about uh, the nature of kind of uh, hesitancy and mistrust, uh, not just in the vaccine, but in the health system among some Native, Native Americans. What, what's, what's behind that? Medicine doesn't stand still, and at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. Curated from more than 3,000 major newspapers, magazines, and journals, the AMA Morning Rounds newsletter delivers the top stories in healthcare right to your inbox Monday through Friday. Subscribe today and check out all the AMA's free newsletters at ama-assn.org slash 
my inbox. That's ama-assn.org slash my inbox. Well, there's a long history of things done in the name of research that were wrong, just outright wrong. And one that is frequently quoted is to have a Supai case in Arizona where Arizona State brought in researchers uh, ostensibly to, to research a genetic cause for diabetes, uh, yet they were all sorts of problems with methodology and informed consent was not always uh, done properly. And then uh, there was rumors that they were studying schizophrenia and genetics as well, which is deeply disturbing. And eventually uh, the regions of Arizona settled with the tribe for nearly a million dollars um, recognizing wrongdoing. But that's just one small example. And that was, you know, probably 20 years ago, and there's certainly longer a longer history, including forced sterilizations. But the way I like to describe it, if if somebody is trying to understand the native resistance um, to medicine and research, I try and think of it this way: Where were you when 9/11 happened? And everyone who was old enough that I've asked can tell you exactly where they were, sometimes what they were wearing and the next hours. It's all very visceral. And think about, that was also 20 years ago. So um, what if you though were in the one of the towers and you got out? How long would your family talk about 9-11? It would be generations. So that's part of the resistance. And I think for a lot of providers or um, those who work in healthcare, they feel like, well, they're trustworthy, so I should be trusted. And they don't realize that they really need to earn that trust. That makes uh, you know it even important, more important to get the messaging right uh, in the way that uh, you know you communicate with tribal communities. Uh, I, I thought some of the things that we uh, uh, talked about were really interesting in terms of the decisions that you need to make uh, with that kind of communication. Can you talk a little bit about how you tailor messaging uh, for this particular community that's different than what you might see elsewhere? Well, I think it it really needs to be at the tribal level, and I, I have to say I'm incredibly impressed by the tribes that I've been working with who have their own committees on getting the messaging out, and it often involves elders um, who are willing to say, you know, we need to do this. This um, will help protect us uh, in the future, and the only little grumblings that I hear are, are younger folks who heard that there are side effects and they don't want to experience that. And and that just takes some one-on-one discussion of, well, yes, there are, there are side effects. And they were significant for me. I was really out for a couple of days. But then you're done and you're protected from, at least as far as we know, uh, serious illness or hospitalization and certainly death. So one of the, one of the things I found was really interesting is that a lot of uh, campaigns uh, that you hear about focus on kind of individual decisions, mm-hmm. uh, which is not necessarily a message that's going to resonate with a tribal community. Why? Why is that? Well, we're more about protecting the tribe, um, and I I have also noticed that the Association of American Indian Physician has a national campaign, which is largely through social media, again to highlight 
elders and native physicians getting their shots. So, you know, for those who are afraid, um, I think the more that it adds up, and we've seen certainly in polls that the direction is far shifting uh, so that there's very much less uh, vaccine hesitancy than there used to be. And you, uh, I think, you know, you mentioned Operation Warp Speed. There's a lot of the language that has surrounded the rollout has been good. military in nature. Is that, you know, how does that? It's not a good name. Mm-hmm. It's not a good name, but, it, um, you know, a lot of it is just pure logistical planning, especially because the first two vac- vaccines required a very cold freezer um, that isn't necessarily available at all Indian Health Service sites, but they worked through all those logistics with that early planning, and then they were ready. Um, Again, you know, back to uh, the success that we're seeing, hopefully so far, you know, despite the mistrust and the obstacles that we talked a little bit about, a recent survey found that vaccine acceptance uh, was relatively high among Native Americans. Do you attribute this to the community, um, kind of community before self mentality, or is there something else at play here? You know, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, I will say I will celebrate it all day long. And I feel like there's there's such a mixture of messages on so many levels, starting. Um, at the grassroots level with the tribes and all the way up to the presidency where everyone is saying vaccines are safe, vaccines are effective. If you have questions, we will work through them with you. And I think that multi-layer strategy is working. Is the, uh, you know, the focus on prioritizing elders first been uh, an important part of the strategy? Absolutely. And Standing Rock was one of the first tribes that's, um, straddles the North Dakota and South Dakota states, um, they prioritized uh, traditional language speakers. So it's, you know, protecting our elders. I mean, that's the priority for the nation as well. But certainly, uh, you know, there's so few speakers of the native language that um, they felt it was important to protect them first. Um, well, you know, although it's been a relative success story so far for tribal communities and vaccinations, of course, there are still going to be challenges. Can you talk about what needs to happen over the next few months and even longer term to make sure that we stay on a successful track? Please continue to wear a mask, social distance if you can. It It is tempting. We all want to get back to normal. However, you know, the it's an RNA virus, which I won't get too technical, but they they create variants. That's that's their thing. And so until we get enough people vaccinated and make sure that uh, there aren't variants that are vaccine resistant, um, I, we need to continue to stay uh, social distance and wearing masks, washing your hands, all of that. What uh, one of the issues that you brought up is this issue about forgotten tribes. Mm-hmm. How does that impact uh, the vaccine, you know, rollout challenge? Well, it does get interesting. With um, I actually think 
federally recognized tribe did very well because they're covered under the Indian Health Service. And and for those of you who don't know, the Indian Health Service was created out of treaty rights. These were treaties negotiated in the 1800s. And the reason it matters is because there wasn't much health care then, but health care was specifically mentioned. And that was because they wanted to be able to quarantine Indians if there were outbreaks. So we've come first full circle and actually the Indian Health Service is now leading the country in protecting Indians. So I couldn't be prouder. I think though tribes that uh, do not have federal recognition, uh, maybe only state recognition or, or unrecognized might be having more difficulty getting access to federal resources. Well, Dr. Westcott, thanks so much for being with us here today and sharing your perspective. Uh, we'll be back soon with another COVID-19 update. In the meantime, for more resources on COVID-19, visit ama-assn.org slash COVID-19. Thanks for joining us. Please take care. This content was originally published as part of the AMA's COVID-19 daily video updates. Find the latest at ama-assn.org slash COVID update. Subscribe to other great AMA podcasts available wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.